Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church, and we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support, we need your prayers, and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today. We'll turn our attention now to our reverse text for this week. We've been reading all week long together, 1 Samuel 16, 5 through 13. So if you would, find this on your listening sheet, and we're going to read this aloud together. So stand with me, and we'll read. This, then, is the text for today. He said, In peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely this the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Next Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all the children? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, and behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. May God bless the reading of his word. The other day I was at the dentist getting my teeth cleaned. And before they begin, they always test my blood pressure. They have a cuff that they put on you. And so the other day, the dental hygienist did just that. She put the cuff on me and began to get the reading. And first she gave me my blood pressure and said, that's fine. And then she, she looked at me and her eyes lit up and she said, ooh, nice heart rate. And I didn't know how to respond to that. <laughs> the part of me wanted to see, say, well, you know, I've been working out, but <laughs> the other half knows this was first thing in the morning and I'm probably still half asleep. So was my heart rate. That's not always what happens, though. That was one instance the other day. 
The last time I was at my doctor's office, things went very different. In fact, there was a, a similar kind of thing. They put the cuff on me, and at first the lady said, I think this is broken. <laughs> I said, I don't know. And so she did it again, and she said, I think you're broken. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't know about that. You see, there's nothing wrong with your little machine. There's this problem that I have. Every time that I go into a doctor's office, my heart gets very erratic and starts to beat like crazy. Because I'm one of those people who is scared to death of needles. And I, if I think there's any chance that doctor is going to pull a needle out of their little drawer over there, my heart can't handle it. See, a dentist is fine. But if I think the doctor has a needle up their sleeves, um, it's over. You know, all of that is, is a, a big piece of, of the marvel of modern medicine of the tools and resources that our doctors have to give us all of this information about our heart, our body, our wellness. I mean, doctors can tell us nearly everything that we need to know about our heart with, with all of their tools, an MRI, a CAT scan, an echocardiogram. They can do all kinds of things. In fact, our doctors can produce a beat-by-beat -beat picture of this vital organ. And it's a wonderful thing for our health. See, things would go very differently if we went up to one of our friends and asked our friends, what do you think about my heart health? Our friend would have to guess, based on our habits and what they know about us, what they think might be going on with our heart. But when you go to a doctor, they can give you a full picture of everything that you need to know. You see, this is what Samuel was walking into. Samuel was the prophet to anoint the, the Lord's king over Israel. He first anointed Saul. Saul was tall, a wonderful-looking king that fell apart. And it was still Samuel's business then to find the next king. Samuel had been praying earnestly to discern what was to happen next. He said, God, show me your way. And God does. As God answers our prayer, when we cry out to God, God answers. And God gave Samuel the answer that he needed. He began to narrow it down, and he said, Samuel, you need to go find a new king. He said, Samuel, you need to go to Bethlehem. And so he keeps bringing this down to a point. And he said, a king, Bethlehem. And then he said, you need to go to Jesse and find his sons. And, and God began to narrow this down to one family. And I want you to recognize this. Samuel is as close as a person can be to God. And, and Samuel gets to hear these answers from God. But even still, as Samuel is standing in front of the seven sons of Jesse, it's more like a friend trying to diagnose heart issues. Samuel is left with incomplete information even though he knows King, Bethlehem, Jesse, one of Jesse's sons. You know, unfortunately, that's how things work on this side of eternity. In our prayers, in our life, in our discernment, we're working with incomplete information. We are incomplete people working with incomplete information. So Samuel is stepping out in faith, and he stands before these seven sons. And he says, I know that God has anointed one of these to be king. But, but even in this, as close as they are, God hasn't told him which one. 
This is something that's terribly frustrating to us as we pray, where God only reveals the next step rather than the next three steps or four steps or five. We always want God to give us five steps when it's God's habit to give us one. And he said, just listen to me. God tells Samuel, you go to Bethlehem. You stand with Jesse's son. That's all you need to know right now. And if you will go in faith, I will give you the answer. And that's exactly what Samuel did. He walked in faith towards Bethlehem and found these men. And I want you to hear this, to not be discouraged about incomplete information. It seems in our flesh, we get worked up and and we start to worry. There's this anxiety that covers us when we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Or we we don't know what the next three steps are. But God is saying to us, like he's saying to Samuel, you trust me. I am the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and you trust me with your life. I will show you the way forward. Don't be discouraged about incomplete information. Your whole life is incomplete information. See, we can't see the outcomes or the fruit or the real answers down the road, but God brings completeness into our lives. And God will always bring that which is complete into our lives at the most opportune time. God knows exactly when to do what we need done. And if God has not revealed the answer yet, It's our turn to wait, to wait upon the Lord. You know, as this conversation between Samuel and God unfolds, we get a glimpse of what real conversation with God looks like. Jesse's son's lined up in front of him. He picks one out. He says, this must be the one. Samuel is working with, with what he's got. He has incomplete information. He knows he's supposed to pick one of them, so it makes sense to pick the tallest one, the best-looking one. Surely that's the one that God has chosen here. And God uses this time to, to teach Samuel and to teach us about this conversation with him and what life is like with God. And what you see in this moment of life and conversation with God is God tells Samuel no seven times. Samuel keeps asking, and God says no, 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 no. Was that seven? No, seven times. And God God is teaching Samuel this moment. He says, Samuel, why did you choose him? Did you choose him because he was the best-looking guy in the room? Did, Did you choose him because he's the tallest guy in the room? Because I want you to know that's not what I'm looking for. As the Lord your God, that is not my concern here. Is, is that what you were looking for? Because that's what the world looks for. That's often what people are chasing after. And he's saying, Samuel, follow me here and let me lead you into the truth and the ways of God. That's not the kind of thing that I'm looking for. See, he's telling Samuel, Samuel, you're approaching this like a friend trying to diagnose heart disease. Your knowledge is incomplete. You're... you're Your ways are incomplete. When you look at somebody, you don't know their heart. You don't know their mind. You don't don't know their thoughts. And and God in his glory said, I I need you to understand this, to Samuel and to the church. God's saying, I have complete information. 
I, I, know, I know everything. I know everything needed to make this decision. I know what you're thinking. I know what's on your heart. I know where you've been. And even beyond that, I know where you're going to be 10 years from now. I know where David is going to be 20 years from now. See, God's working in the moment with everything. And that's why we have to go to him first. For every decision that we have to make, for every opportunity that's in front of us, it is priority number one for a child of God to go to God first. Why would I try to make a decision based on incomplete information? Why would I try to consider an opportunity based on what I think? When by the blood of Jesus Christ, I have access to the throne room of God who has complete information, not only of the past, not only of today, but of the future. And the, the God of, of the heavens and the earth has opened his throne room to you through Jesus Christ so that you could come and know discernment. Why would I go anywhere else? Why would I trust anyone else? You see, for Samuel here, th this was more than, than just anointing the next king of Israel. This was a recognition of who God is, who knows every problem and its corresponding solution. You know, one of the things that's problematic for us is this life is increasingly complex. And it seems as though all kinds of complex issues come together and it's almost impossible for us to untangle them and to know truth. It's very difficult for, for us to see through the web that this world weaves around us as it entraps and entangles us. But God knows immediately. God knows immediately how to untangle all of that and to reveal what truth is. God can see the complexity of this world and bear it all out immediately to know every consequence, both intended and unintended. Why would I go anywhere else for information? Why would I not seek out his word and chew on it daily? Why would I not fall in his throne room and say, Lord God, give me the discernment that I need today? You see, this was God's wisdom to Samuel. You see partially. I see everything. And God proved this in the moment, saying, I know there is something hidden here. In fact, there's a son that's not in the room. We asked for all of Jesse's sons. But Samuel, hear from me. There's one who is missing. God knows everything hidden. God knows everything hidden in our hearts and our minds. God knows everything hidden in the sheep pen and beyond. See, when we're, when we're faced with temptations, when we're faced with decisions, the immediate course of action is to seek the wisdom of God because God alone gets to the heart of the matter in an instant. You know, as this scene is described before us in 1 Samuel 16, God makes it about the heart. Up, up in verse 7, he, he tells Samuel, I, I look at the heart. I don't care about the facade. 
And so many of you, you, you put on facades. And God says, I, I see right through that. And, and I see directly into the heart. And so as Samuel is reviewing the other sons, he didn't know what to look for. But God was looking into the heart of each one of those sons of Jesse so that he would find, or that Samuel would find, the next king of Israel. And as God is, is looking into those hearts of the seven sons, we don't, we don't know. It doesn't tell us what he saw in each of those hearts. But I do want us to take a minute and look at different hearts that we find in the Scriptures. Because there's a number of different hearts that we see throughout the Scriptures. And maybe these are the sorts of hearts that he saw in Jesse's son. Luke 21 describes a kind of heart. Luke 21 describes a heart that's, that's barely beating because it's completely bound up in chains, heavy chains that, that are restricting each beat of the heart. And as Luke goes on, it, these, these are hearts that, that care more about worldly things than godly things. Th these are hearts that... In God's place, they put other things that are terrible substitutes, like drunkenness or unhealthy relationships. And those things become as chains wrapped around your heart that make our lives miserable. God sees every one of them and exactly who put them there. I don't know, maybe God saw a heart like that in Eliab. Or, or maybe he saw a fat heart. There's a couple of places, James 5, Psalm 119. They both warn us about fat hearts. Let me, let me read John 5, 5 to you. Uh, excuse me, James, not John. James 5, 5. So James chapter 5, verse 5. You have lived luxuriously on the earth. You've led a life of wanton pleasure. And you have fattened your hearts for a day of slaughter. Here is a moment of, of God bringing down judgment on people with fattened hearts that have continually overindulged themselves on the things of this world. And in particular, as you work through Psalm 119, but you see it in James 5 too, there, there's this particular connotation that you not only indulge yourself on the things of the world, but you do it at the expense of others. You do it at the expense of your family. You do it at the expense of your friends so that the ramifications of these things are affecting all the people that are in your orbit. When all your heart wants is more stuff or when your heart is, is longing after giddiness, more than God, you are in real trouble. You know, there are many of us who would always rather have a new thing or a new experience rather than a relationship with God. And when our lives are always about the next new thing or the next new, um, the next new experience, you're never going to have a relationship with God like Samuel had with him. And as James in Psalm 119 described, this, this is a fattened heart. And, and, and even if we can't bring ourselves to say it out loud, God already knows it. He's seen it in us. Maybe God saw this 
in 107. Some in Scripture are said to have hardened hearts. And this is usually somebody that's intentionally set out against the will of God. So you can see them, they're coming up and they're butting up against God or they're doing their best to run away from what God has in store for them. They choose the opposite of what God wants. Pharaoh saw the power of God and refused to submit to it. But in the New Testament, we see a similar instance. Jesus asked the disciples if they have hard hearts. It's one of those troubling moments with the disciples where Jesus had just fed the 4,000 with a few loaves. The disciples then, they go and get on the boat and they're worried that they don't have something to eat. And Jesus looks at them and says, do you have hardened hearts? So when Samuel is standing there in front of these seven that day in Bethlehem, I mean, some of them may have had bad hearts. I don't know, maybe, maybe some of them had good hearts too. It, it, scripture tells us that there's all kinds of good hearts that God sees in us. There, there are hearts out there that are made of clay. These are hearts that are ready for the hand of God to reach down and mold them into something holy. Scripture talks, too, about a, a heart that's a tablet. And, and don't, don't think of this tablet like, like a stone. Think, think of a book. That this, is, this is a person who knows the Scripture so well that it's imprinted on their lives, that they, they love the Word of God. They, they memorize the Word of God to the point that it's, it's written, it's etched in onto their heart to be there forever. That when God looks down, he sees a memory verse instead of disease. You see, Scripture, scripture talks about pure hearts, too. There's a number of other pure hearts, circumcised hearts, broken hearts. All of these in, in a positive way. These are holy and pure hearts expressly set aside for the glory of God, for, the, for his hope and his kingdom. Maybe that's what God saw in some there. Maybe that's what God saw when he looked at David's heart condition. But I want you to hear me here. That in the grand scheme of things, it, it doesn't matter what God finds when he searches our hearts. And this is why. When God looks at us, and he looks at your heart, and, and he finds the most diseased heart imaginable, a heart that's harboring hate, a heart that's getting fat on pleasures. Our God can heal all of it. I, I want you to know that when, when, when God is searching out this earth, his angels are going to and fro in the harvest. When, when God is, is raising up leaders... He's not looking for a perfect heart because God, God knows he's the one that heals the heart. He's the one that takes care of the heart. See, God, God is the one that when all of us surrender our unhealthy hearts over to him, God is the one who brings the healing. When our hearts are bound by chains, unable to beat because, because we have given ourselves over to the ways of this world, God is the one who comes in by his strong arm of heaven and breaks those chains apart. 
He takes those chains that are fastened to your heart and he rips them off so that you can live again. God is the one who reaches down from heaven and he has a plan and a hope to transform the fat into holiness. God can take your fat heart and make it right again. God is the one who reaches down from heaven with a chisel. And when he finds a heart of stone, begins to break it into pieces that are usable. All for his glory and his kingdom. I want you to remember with me the story of David. In this moment, he is a man after God's own heart. God looks and says, anoint this one. He, he is the one. But remember with me David's story. That does not mean he was perfect. That did not mean his heart was right, but he was the one that God would use and that he was usable, moldable, that God was going to take him and make him the king that he needed to be. I mean, even after he's anointed here, David's life is full of heart failures. He's plagued with, with all kinds of problems, not the least of which is Saul himself. God's looking for the one that will bring him glory through the worst of life. Looking for the heart that's broken, heartbroken over sin, especially your own. Look back with me at Psalm 51. This is what Pastor Aaron read earlier in the service. Now I want us to make special note of this again. Psalm 51, we'll start in verse 10. And, and a lot of our Bibles, uh, this one included, gives, uh, gives a note, right? It says Psalm 51, and right under that note, it says a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. After one of the lowest moments of his life, let me tell you what God saw in David's heart. There wasn't a pride there to say, I can do what I want to do. There, there wasn't a pride there that, that said, I am king. When, when the prophet of God spoke the word of God over David, this is what it produced. So Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. If you, if you look at the, the verse, it's immediately after our reverse this week. It tells us something about King Saul. Just like Samson says the Spirit of God left him. And here, David is praying. He's seen this in Saul. And he's saying, Lord, I know I've sinned, but please do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, continue down. Two more verses, verses 16 and 17. For you don't delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit 
a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That is our prayer. That the worst of us, the worst that's in our heart, the worst that's in our minds, the lowest moments of our life, that we would be forgiven, that the Spirit of God would come upon us, and by the blood of Jesus Christ, we would be healed. God's not looking for perfect hearts this morning. He's looking for broken ones, people that are ready for repentance. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. And we pray that your spirit would search us and reveal to us that which needs to be cleansed. And Lord, from heaven, the blood of Jesus Christ would be poured over our lives so that we might be forgiven. Lord, would you come and heal our hearts this morning, make them whole again. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We have a time of response now. And our hope is that everybody in here will respond to God in some way. That you'd be faithful in your response to Him. So let me give you some options. So one of those, the altar is open. Um, come down and pray prayers of repentance or prayers of thanksgiving, either one. Come up and kneel. Also know I'll be up here. If you want to come pray with me, we can pray together. Or we can talk about accepting Christ or being a part of this church. Um, Pastor Brian will be over here. Um, if, if you want to come and pray for him, with him, he's here to pray as well. But this is your time. And we're going to sing together. We're going to give as a part of this time. But I want you to be faithful in your response. Uh, if you need to, you can remain seated. That's fine. Um, the rest of us, let's stand and respond to our Lord.
Amen. What a blessing. We need to turn our attention to our life together. And there's a few things that we need to talk about today. A couple of those are for this very Sunday. So one of those is immediately following this service. If you go out into Unity Hall, right this direction, we're going to have a commissioning prayer service for a mission team that's going to Poland. This is something new this year that we're doing for all of our mission teams. This, I think this is our third one to do. And we want to pray over and send our teams well. And so we have a team that's going to Poland. We, we've gone to for um, a long time. We have some 
uh, former church members that are missionaries there that we go and we serve with, and it's a wonderful trip that's a little bit different these days with what's going on in the Ukraine. And so, but we, we're going to pray over them and pray over this team. They're going to leave, I think, on Thursday to head to Poland. So immediately after service, if you will go into Unity Hall and pray with us and pray over that team. Also tonight at 6 p.m. over in 4th Street, crossing across the street this way, we're going to have our monthly church conference. This is where we talk about the business of the church and the numbers of the church. Um, so if you want to come be a part of that with us tonight from 6 to 7, uh, it will be good. Then look ahead with me this week as we go to, to Wednesday, April 26th. Uh, we have our next business Bible lunch. It's always good when you can have lunch at the church. And I love to have lunch with you here and, and be uh, grateful if you'd come and be a part of that with us um, this week. Now I want us to look ahead a little bit. And what I mentioned earlier in the service to the TV congregation about Pentecost Sunday. And I want you to be praying in that direction with me. The next five weeks or so, I want you, you praying diligently for that Sunday and everything leading up to it. And, and we're praying for a mighty movement of the Spirit for the days leading up and into that day. I want you prepared for that day in prayer and of the Spirit. I want you to pray with me for one, unity. So we have six different worship services that happen here this morning with us. All six of those will be in here one worship service, uh, one combined worship that last Sunday in May. There'll be four different languages in here that day. So I want you praying with me for unity there, and I want you to pray with me that all of us, myself included, would leave room for the power and work of the Holy Spirit in unexpected ways that day. And so I'm looking forward to what that's going to be, and as I said before, we'll have baptisms after, barbecue after, um, it, it'll be a wonderful day, but I want you to be preparing with me now um, for that day. Now, lastly from me, you see the altar flowers today. They're given to the glory of God in loving memory of Roscoe A. Rossi, Jr. They're given by his wife, Odelia, and their daughter, Dania. We're so grateful for that life, and we thank the Lord for it. Amen. So we're dismissed now. Let's stand together and sing Great is Thy Faithfulness.